WMNF is kicking off the new year by bringing back Chuck Prophet. His wit and wisdom combined with great vocals makes this show a must. Chuck Prophet is stepping on stage at Skipper Smokehouse with Matt Burke of Have Gun Will Travel opening the show. Tickets are on sale now. Guitars and drums inside for the line. Chuck Prophet, January 11th at Skipper Smokehouse. Buy your ticket now by calling 813-238-8001 or online at WMNF.org. It's a You're tuned to 88.5 WMNF Tampa. This is Talking Animals. Walks like an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animals, talking animals, talking animals. Welcome to January 3rd's edition of Talking Animals. My name is Beverly. I'll be sitting in for Duncan today. I'm very, very excited to tell you that we've got Elizabeth Bonert and Jason Cowan from the Friends of Boyd Hill, Boyd Hill Nature Preserve coming in today. They're going to talk about all kinds of wonderful things that you can find just south of downtown St. Petersburg at the Boyd Hill Nature Preserve And we'll be getting into their Birds of Prey program and their upcoming Raptor Fest that will be taking place on February 3rd. To get us ready for uh, this excitement, we're going to hear some Steve Miller. I wanted to let you know that the uh, we will not be taking live phone calls on the studio line, but you can reach us via text at 813-433-0885. Or email to dj at wmnf.org. Here's Steve Miller. Slipping, slipping, slipping 
I thought that was the perfect way to start talking animals out in the new year. Uh, talking animals starting their, I think, third decade at WMNF. So um, thank you for joining me today. I'm very excited about our guests. We've got Jason Cowan and Elizabeth Bonnert. And uh, they're in the studio right now. Feel free to say hello to WMNF audience. Hi, Jason here. <laughs> Hi, Elizabeth. Um, we're going to be talking about the Boyd Hill Nature Preserve and the upcoming Raptor Fest and the Bird of Prey program. Um, we will not be taking live phone calls today, but you can email uh, DJ at WMNF.org or text questions or comments at 813-433-0885. Good morning, folks. Thank you for coming in today, braving the the Bay, the Howard Franklin to be at WMNF. Um, let's see. We're going to first talk talking about um, exactly where Boyd Hill is in relationship to the greater Tampa Bay area because to, that in and of itself would be a whole show for me, just how it, the history of the uh preservation area and the uh, history behind how it was uh, kind of uh, staved off from development. So Jason. uh, Yeah, of course. Um, So the nature preserve uh, Boyd Hill, it's a city owned preserve, which is already kind of unique. Mm -hmm. A lot of municipalities that are local like cities don't usually own preserves. And if they do, they're usually not very big. Uh, Boyd Hill is actually a pretty sizable preserve for a city government. Um, it's located, you know, if you're in the Tampa Bay area, you know, Pinellas County is a little peninsula. Mm-hmm. The very bottom of the peninsula, there's a lake called Lake Megory, and the preserve is basically the uh, west side of the lake. So if you're a St. Pete person, it's South 9th Street or MLK. Behind the lake, all those trees is actually a preserve. Um, it's about 245 acres was the initial trail system. It's expanded now to 31st Street to almost 400 acres of trails. Um, right behind that lake there. Um, it was originally, could have been developed. Um, the The neighborhood back of Lakewood Estates was being developed aggressively. Um, and with the country club there, a lot of money coming in. And then the depression hit. When the depression hit, land, obviously no one was building anything for quite a while. Um, different companies out of business, land changed hands, and eventually... The city had had its eyes on the property for a while, made a couple of offers to landowners. They declined. And eventually, I believe it was 1943, when the people that owned the land accepted an offer of $40,000 in forgiven back taxes as well um, for the initial land purchase. And then there was other purchases over time to get other chunks that touch it. But that was the initial large purchase was 1943. With opposition, um, people in in, uh, affluent North St. Pete Mm wrote a letter, you know, with signatures against spending the money. And, you know, luckily, our, we've always had a very pro-park um, government in St. Petersburg, very proud of that. Um, and they bought it anyways. And a lot of uh, advocacy from especially the um, the Garden Club in St. Petersburg at the time was a big reason why they were able to fight off all the, the naysayers back in the day. Wow. So we could uh, basically say the park was established in 1943 but it's gone through some evolution it was purchased and it was first opened up in 1947 i okay, believe okay. um after did you know build trails and mm-hmm. do everything else and again the garden club and a few other private citizens that knew a lot about biology and plant stuff did a lot of work to help make it possible but it's gone through some changes over the years i would say oh yeah from what we talked about. I, I will say uh to go back a little bit uh 
Myself, Jennifer Hollowell, and Lori Berlin, Lori Liu, on Tuesday afternoons, we got to visit Boyd Hill. Absolutely fascinating and eye-opening as a longtime, lifelong Tampa Bay area resident. I knew so little about Boyd Hill. I knew that it was there, but I had no idea the activities and the conscientious dedication to preserving the area that was involved in it. Yeah. So because this is a show about animals and wildlife, we were going to get into what's going on uh, wildlife-wise at Boyd Hill, but I did want to make sure that people understood that this this doesn't just yeah. just happen accidentally. It is truly a gem. You can sit on the, exactly. the island at the mm-hmm. lake, and you can see now all the skyscrapers being built <laughs> uh, downtown just a matter of miles away, minutes, minutes drive away. Um, you could walk to it, honestly. Um, but it went through iterations of being, you know, trails, having private groups. You know, there was uh, like archery clubs that used part mm-hmm. of the land for a, for a long time. Um, you go into the, you know, 60s and there's plans to put in more of like a mini kid Kidland theme park. Mm-hmm. They kind of fall apart, which is probably a good thing. It turns into a zoo in the 70s, more or less. Um, there's all kinds of parrots and bears and alligators and showmanship. Right. Eventually, vandalism catches up. It gets out of control. Luckily, people pump the brakes a little bit. And you have, you know, over the course that we're talking about, you often have people, either advocates or city employees that have a really good head on their shoulders. And they mm-hmm. pump the brakes and they say, like, what are we trying to do here? What's the goal here? And, and luckily, I believe I was around back then. But from here, the, the early 80s were it turned to, what are we doing here? Let's put a library in. Let's go back to the roots of War Nature Preserve. Let's bring the kids in. Let's teach them. Let's inspire them. Right. Let's not be showmen. Let's not be, you know, super crazy or anything else. Um, they had, again, vandalism problems with all that wildlife there, mm. you know, teenagers and stuff trying to harass things and everything else. So the 80s saw it turn into um, more investment in having a library there, having um, more staff that were biology background or education background. Cause for a long time, you know, when you're a small government, you, people just get jobs, they get moved from, they're good people, but maybe it wasn't what they meant to do originally in their right. career. Right? right. Um, and you go up to the nineties and to present and the, the focus now truly is really education. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, not to brag, but I, I don't know of any preserve that has more programs than what would has to offer in terms of from three-year-olds to adults, senior citizen programs too. So That's- the calendar is absolutely stacked full of programs. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about one of your, your big events coming up at the uh, beginning of February. You've got the Raptor Fest coming up. But we're going to hold off on that for a little bit. But I did, you made me think of something. As a child growing up in the area um, in the 60s and, and early 70s, you could very easily drive outside the city limit and kind of get a sample of old Florida. You could go out to... Um, I'm drawing a blank. You could d- drive outside the city limits and and see you know the natural springs, the park areas weren't inf- infringed on by development. It was easy to get outside, you know, of the urban area or suburban area and see natural Florida. And it's just becoming harder and harder to do now. It's an hour drive or more for a lot of people. And I think it's just I really want to to get listeners interested. And checking out Boyd Hill, and of course, I'm I'm excited because I just sort of discovered it, and I know many listeners have probably been familiar for a long time, especially um, St. Pete and Pinellas residents. But that you've got this little gem, like you were saying, located just south of St. Petersburg, an easy drive from anywhere in the Tampa Bay area. 
Chime on in, please. Yeah, so... <laughs> this I've, is Elizabeth Bonnert. I've lived in St. Pete now for 13 years, and probably for the last decade, the, f- the first few years I was in college, mm-hmm. so I was busy. Uh, but once I discovered Boyd Hill, it truly became a sanctuary for me because it really is a gem. Um, I'm a big outdoors person. Mm-hmm. I scuba dive, I hike, I spelunk. I'm, I'm all over the place. <laughs> so I really do value time outdoors, and I value time, solitude time mm-hmm. outdoors. And with... Florida being as popular as it is, it's hard to find some of that na- natural right. solitude. And so to be able to just drive, you know, 10 minutes from my home, mm-hmm. uh, past the city and kind of come into this place where I pretty much always am going to know I'm going to see wildlife. So whether I see alligators or some of our gopher tortoises, um, and then depending on the time of year, we get a lot of migratory birds that come through. There's, I mean, you're never going to leave Boyd without seeing something right. cool. Yeah. And I did want you to elaborate on the wildlife that um, you could easily see, you know, just passing through on a hike at Boyd Hill. But we talked about that quite a bit on our, our tour, but um, it's just fascinating that there go for tortoises, kind of like right in the heart of Pinellas County, that are, th- I, I would say they're thriving. I can maybe update us on their, how well they're yeah. doing. So, I mean, there's a, um, it's for how the pr- preserve is closed off to other preserves. So it's, it's, it's what we call fragmented, which is a challenge for any terrestrial mm. wildlife at least. Okay. Birds obviously do better because you can fly. Um, there's a lot of birds at Boyd Hill. We're known for our, our tortoise population as well who actually dig into burrows. Um, and their burrows house hundreds of other, other species of mm-hmm. animals inside of them. So they're called a keystone species because if the keystone falls out of the arch, the arch collapses. Um, so our tortoises are being studied now, actually. So we've had George Heinrich, who's herpetologist, who's studied them since the 90s. And then now Eckerd College's herpetologist, Dr. Jeff Gessling, it's a lot of studies on them too, to more or less study what does a, a fragment population look like, the genetics, everything else. So on the surface, I want to say, yeah, there's lots of them. They're healthy, mm-hmm. I think. They, they, it seems great, but really won't know until probably a few years from now when, when Dr. Gessling's stuff is more hashed out. Because here's the thing, if you have 250 tortoises, it sounds great, but if they're all old, there's no right, babies. right. It's not only healthy, right? right? So you want to see is is a whole population picture. So mm-hmm. what we're hoping is that we can use the data to per, to implement the best practice for management, like whether it's fire or other restorative methods, right. to make sure that we're actually supporting consistent, healthy population growth or you know management, as opposed to just we have a lot of big ones that have been here for hundred years, mm-hmm. but once they pass away, there's nothing. So right. you know we'll know more in, in a few years. For right now, I, I, you know there are lots of tortoises. They are doing, doing pretty well. We do find babies and subadults. Um, here and there. So that's promising at least. Yeah. And it's important to have, well, of course the younger ones, but I know I've talked to a, a tortoise expert that says there's a certain age where they reproduce yeah. and after a certain point that they, they'll be around, they, they, but they don't continue to. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a very long lived species. Right. Um, and what you find with any animal tortoises or one of them is you might have a university um, that studies them, you know, a few States away and you're going off of what they know about the species, but when you study a population that's a thousand miles away, it's just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to see. You know, I'm I'm very, I'm, a, I'm a sideline person to help with you know funding and I, I assist here and there. You know, I'm not myself a, a researcher or anything, but it's cool to see um, being a sideline for and witness like, oh well, that doesn't follow what we know about the species mm-hmm. at all. Well, the guy that said that fact or that made that statement, you know, studied it 20 years ago at a place way far away, and we're learning that it's not just a blanket rule for everything. 
Uh, you mentioned uh, control burns, or at least that was in, in my mind. I wanted you to mention that because a lot of people might be familiar with control burns, especially in the uh, the out, out, uh, county parks and state parks. Yeah. But um, it's a very important thing to bring yeah. up for two reasons, because people panic when they see smoke, which I think that's a, a natural thing to do. But it's also uh, kind of a vital um, process for the wildlife and the land, um, the way the land propagates. Yeah. So it's the the proper term is, is prescribed fire because okay. it is supposed to be prescribed by an authority. Um, in this case, I believe it's the state that hands out the permits. Uh-huh. Um, but you, you know, you have land managers. Um, you have sometimes private contractors that help with this. If you're not a big landowner, Boyd Hill being a one of one city preserve. We contract out a company that are experts in it um, or get a state permit. It's super important because it's, it's really two main reasons. One, the land health, and then two, public safety. So the land has evolved in throughout a lot of most of Florida, at least the uplands habitat mm-hmm. especially, to require fire to stay healthy. We have very sandy soil. It's not very nutrient rich. So by burning, you replenish the soil with nutrients, and then you have a lot of plants that have evolved to more or less grow efficiently once they know that fire has occurred Mm -hmm. Um, and it helps keep you know the understory of the ground more controlled and not just overgrown and choking other plants out Um, so it's it's one it's the land naturally wants to do that is what i'm trying to say and you don't want to stop them from doing that because happens when you stop them from doing that you just keep creating a fuel load and nothing's happening to it Uh. Um, so then you have a risk of a wildfire so we do prescribed fires to prevent wildfires, um, and that goes to the public safety aspect of it. Would you rather have the fire happen with you know dozens of trained professionals around, firefighters on standby, or would you rather just have it happen on accident, have the firefighters get called a half hour after it, st- after it starts, mm. and it could actually spread and cause you know real harm? So we've always have fought, um, not fought, it's the wrong word. We've always had challenges getting people on board with it because it seems you're hurting the wildlife and you're not. The wildlife has also evolved to survive mm-hmm. these habitats. The tortoise burrows are a prime example of right. how the animals use those to, to stay safe. Um, so it's tr- explaining how it's good for the habitat. And I know it seems like it's dangerous for you, but it's really not because it's being done in a very controlled way. We've been planning for months, has a perfect wind conditions, you know, temperature, humidity, air pressure, all these things. Um, and unfortunately, you get a lot of media from other places of the country and people just freak out. Right. Um, and so <laughs> we hope that people learn over time that it's a good thing to do it controlled. When we met a couple of weeks ago, you talked about the animals taking shelter in the gopher burrows. And I just thought that was fascinating. If you want to just elaborate on that a tiny bit, that they take shelter yeah. with I mean, uh, the, their, their, all, all, their enemies. Yeah, a lot of times <laughs> in, the, in times of need, you know, you, you realize that your enemy maybe isn't your, your primary enemy at the time. And so there's cases where you'll, you know, people have, have noted animals that may be predatory towards each other um, can cohabitate in a burrow together when it's time to go down there for a fire. Right. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's getting through this situation together and right. emerging together on the other side. Yeah. Mother Nature. Working together. Yeah. That's what we need to, need to learn that that lesson. Um, well, let's kind of turn our attention to the Bird of Prey program. Um, I, I guess you can maybe describe exact. I, I'm calling it the Bird of Prey program. Yeah, is there a it better? Is. Okay. It's the Boat Nature Preserve Birds of Prey program. 
And um, so birds of prey, also known as uh, raptors in the bird world, mm -hmm. birds of prey, although it seems broad because a lot of birds eat, eat live prey, really refers to raptors for the most part, which are birds that use their feet to kill things. Um, so like your hawks, your eagles, your owls, your falcons. And we also clump in vultures in there too, even though they okay. really don't hunt with their feet. Right, right. And um, you have, um, I don't know what to call it, a collection, a variety yeah, of, of whatever, birds, yeah. birds in-house in that are available to be seen. And I guess a sort of a activities that you do yeah. is it a daily basis so the birds are on display whenever the park is open okay. so anyone whether there's volunteers there or not you can still see them most of them are on display basically on one of the trails um so we have we currently have 18 i believe residents we've gone up to 21 before depending okay. on our capacity and what birds but they're all educationally permitted so they are injured. They cannot be released for any reason. They have already reached the end of the road in terms of there's no hope for them getting better. Most of them have wing injuries or eye injuries is the primary uh, thing there. Mm -hmm. um, and so aside from being on display, they're also glove trained to go off-site to schools. So we bring them out, volunteers and staff, into educational programs on-site, but also go to other rec centers, to schools, to local community events, and use them to educate about Boyd Hill, but also the species and the biology of it. And really, you know, our focus is always kids, you know, what people can do to make things better for wildlife. And a lot of our birds have injuries that can be tied in some way to human impact. Mm. So it's a really powerful tool. I've been around teaching kids for mo all my adult life um, through nature stuff. And I can tell you, you know, they've just been having nothing to show the kids and having something like a live animal that mm. is a direct impact gets their attention way better. Um, it's amazing to see a bird up close. I mean, from even, you know, 20, 10, 20 feet away, the detail, their, their beauty, but just their, their power in their talons and chime on in, please. They're, they're very <laughs> charismatic. And I think um, having done uh, the Bird of Prey volunteer work now for, I guess, probably like a little over a year. Yeah, you're about a year in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people are always amazed when you're like, well, they're here in Tampa Bay because we are so urban. Mm -hmm. All of these mo pretty much, I think minus maybe like one or two of our species, they're all Florida species, but they're right here in Tampa Bay. Right. I mean, I live in um, St. Pete. I see screech owls. I hear screech mm -hmm. owls. I've seen great horned owls. I see bald eagles. I see kestrels. They're all here. You just have to look, you know, you have right. to take that moment and look around right. because all this stuff is around. So the having those birds there, you can see, oh, these things are so beautiful. I mean, let's be real. They're dinosaurs. We have actual <laughs> dinosaurs flying around Tampa Bay mm. and it inspires people to do what they can to um, protect them. Yeah. I like, I think they have the name first, Raptor, correct? Absolutely. Dinosaurs. I believe, I believe right. the root word for raptor was raptor, which means to grasp. Okay. I could be wrong. Okay. But I think it's Greek. Well, I was thinking of the soaring aspect yeah. that the, uh, the yeah. eagles and uh, vultures do. We got a, a question, if you don't mind answering a, we'll try. a listener question. You know, you'll, this is an um, easy one. Uh, Dave Bryant writes, he's curious why buzzards fly and climb higher above landfills. And they uh, okay. are they getting up uplift from the methane? It's a great I, question. <laughs> I'm not sure about the methane part of that, right. but in general, they're very very efficient birds for how big they are. So they don't flap their wings a whole lot. They're usually around heat thermals, so they like big mm -hmm. open spaces. 
Um, I assume they're at the landfill because there's potentially a food source there. But vultures, turkey vultures, have a great sense of smell, which most birds do not. And birds of prey especially do not in general. Um, So they will use the heat thermals and ride up and make a big circle. Then they'll descend as they catch a scent and get a circle that's tighter and tighter and tighter Mm -hmm. as they descend until they can actually locate what it is that they're looking for. Um, But they're just super efficient birds. Um, And I mean... I love vultures. I'm very biased towards them. Um, they get a, a very bad rap. They're very important, and though. The thing is, Absolutely. what, what I t- want to tell people is, vultures are the way they are on purpose, not an accident. They're right. not. They're not like. An, they're not an afterthought. They're like a forethought. Right. You know, their 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 evolution was very much like advanced, um, and not an accident. No, they're and they're actually. I think they're beautiful up close. Oh, they're they're their personalities too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a, a black and a turkey vulture. I mean, they're amazing. Other aviaries that I know that have vultures, they're always a favorite of all the volunteers because mm-hmm. once you work with them, they they're actually social. Most birds of prey are not social. Uh-huh. Um, they're pretty intelligent. They have good memory. Um, so they're different to to work with. Um, in managed care. Um. Back to Elizabeth, when did you start volunteering and how, how did that uh, come about? So I actually, during the pandemic, um, so I'm an artist, I do our social media and I create a lot of our merch and educational materials. And so I had had a really nice hike at Boyd one day and drew a picture and had tagged friends at Boyd Hill. And one of the board members reached out and was like, would you like to join our board? And wow. I was like, wow, <laughs> what an opportunity. So uh, that's how I got involved with the friends. Um, and then kind of as I was doing that, I've, I love birds. I love all animals. Um, but I had always wanted to work with mm-hmm. the birds of prey. And after talking with Jason, he was like, you know, you could just come and, and do that. So people don't realize how easy it is. If you have the time really and a good easy. heart, yeah. it's not like it requires a prerequisite. It just requires time and a good heart. Yeah. Right. And it's, it was a nice way to, to disconnect kind of from your mm-hmm. daily life and your main focus is just taking care, taking care of the birds and getting to be around them. Um, so that was uh, a big draw. And yeah, now I've, been on the board since 2001 or sorry 2001 2021 <laughs> um and it's it's been great i i love the it the best part about boyd is that it brings a community around because it's a bunch of like-minded people who all love the fact that boyd exists right. and we're all interested in what it has to offer well i'm i'm so glad you're here being able to talk about boyd hill and the bird of prey do you have something to say no <laughs> um yeah, like I said, I have so much in my mind to talk about, but you mentioned uh, Friends of Boyd Hill, and I want to kind of clarify exactly what yeah. that's about and your your role and how the greater community, Tampa Bay community, can participate if they choose to or donate or become yeah. involved. So um, when, you, when you hear the word friends of something, generally speaking, it's usually a nonprofit that exists to support typically a government-owned entity, a museum, mm-hmm. a preserves are very, very common. A lot of national parks, state parks have friends groups as well. Um, so our friends group was established in the early 1980s with the goal of just supporting the city staff, the city efforts to do better at Boyd Hill. Mostly it's financial. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also sometimes, it could sometimes be more advocacy during times of potential d- development issues, it could be, you know, really a, a huge part of advocacy in terms of standing up for for property and and for what's needed for 
land protection. But most of the time, what it comes down to is volunteer base and financial base. So our friends group, we have a great bond with our city staff counterparts. We work together. We have like-minded visions for everything. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough because limited resources and city governments mm-hmm. especially, um, St. Pete does the best that they can. The staff in Parks and Rec are absolutely amazing from the bottom to the top. Mm-hmm. I can honestly say that. And so we want to be there to give them that extra help that they need to have all of us do better for the preserve. So it could be like the Bird of Prey program. It's the city program. The city has the bird permits. Um, but the Friends of Boyd Hill still helps buy extra stuff, do better, you know, newer equipment, newer enclosures, volunteer appreciation things to make it that much better. A lot of the exhibits, educational signage and stuff, um, we'll either pay for, help chip in for, you know, it might be a case where the city has a budget of $100,000 to redo an exhibit. Um, but you know how bidding goes and inflation mm. and stuff. And maybe the the company, you know, that's going to do it once 120000 we could help make the difference up. And also receiving in grants. A lot of people do not issue grants to just governments alone. You have to have a nonprofit uh-huh. partner on it <laughs> with you. So there's a lot, of, a lot of times where we can help give the city validity in applying for a grant that we're also, we have a board of directors mm-hmm. and we're also signing off on this. It's, it's a good thing, a good project to fund. And um, we can do it together, you know. Yeah, uh, if you would, give the uh, how people can find Friends of Boyd Hill. Yeah, the easiest way would be friendsofboydhill.org. Um, also, our social media, Elizabeth, is very active. I'll actually let her Please. explain it. Yeah, so Friends of, uh, Friends of Boyd Hill on Instagram, and we have a Facebook. And um, actually, I want to go back to one particular thing oh, sure. we have going on right now. Uh, so I think it's February through March. They're doing a uh, gopher tortoise burrow survey, and that's something that we actually mm-hmm. need volunteers for. Um, so any volunteer opportunities. Um, we also will share the uh, different events that the Parks and Rec is doing. So all of that is on our social media. So if you're looking to get involved, just stay tuned on there. We get all the information up for everybody. Yeah, there's a lot of great changes like the gopher tortoise survey. You can literally help actual scientific research Be a citizen, like citizen yeah, scientist. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. It's very fun. I don't want to get off onto a tangent, but I love gopher tortoises. I really do. Um, And Bright Futures Hours. I know Jason mentioned um, in our private conversation, that's how you got involved. So please uh, talk to folks that might need Bright Futures Hours for their kids. I grew up around Boyd Hill. I fell into what I'll call leadership on accident. I went there Mm. for high school, Bright Futures Hours, and then I just never left. That's how I kind of joke about it and (laughs) snowballed from there. But um, we still have a huge volunteer base. Some of it's adults, but a lot of it is mm-hmm. actually teenagers and people, especially in the high school age, that need hours for Bright Futures. Um, we're huge on summer camps, and we actually have a junior leader program where kids can volunteer with a camp counselor, and um, those are volunteer hours that can count towards credit, but it's it's also just a great like way to learn about leadership. And you know, you're at that age where you're kind of aged out of camp yourself, mm-hmm but you can still help now lead the camp and get credit for it. And it's a really good, I think, way for those teenagers to develop themselves personally as well. I, uh, how can people get in touch with you through the the website? Yeah, the volunteering would all be city stuff. So okay. you can uh, really, the, the phone number, the front desk okay. um, is, is the easiest way. You can also walk in there in person if you have time. The front desk staff are so friendly, um, but they have volunteer orientations. And any regarding summer camp, you have to start before you think you do because it's so busy that we plan way ahead. Um, so if you're interested in having your, you know, your child be a helper for mm-hmm. those things, I would start inquiring, you know, pretty soon about it. Well, before school's out, before yes. you panic. <laughs> um, 
Give the uh, exact address. I've got it here if you don't. It's 110101 Country Club Way South, St. Pete, Florida, 33705. And uh, you can also find Boyd Hill information on the City of St. Petersburg Park and Recreation site under Boyd Hill Preserve. Um, Jason and Elizabeth, so happy to have you here. We're going to take a break so I can collect my thoughts, and uh, we'll come right back in a moment. This is... Talking Animals on WMNF, Bev sitting in for Duncan today, and we're talking to Jason and Elizabeth with uh, Boyd Hill Nature Preserve. That's the song Owls by the Deer Hunter. We're talking to Jason Cowan and Elizabeth Bonnert from Boyd Hill Nature Preserve. And um, one thing that's very important that I wanted to have you uh, give you an opportunity to talk about is that you are not a rehab facility. As much as we would love to have an awesome place to go to if we find an in- injured bird or animal, that's not something you're prepared. Correct. Um, and this is not just for Boyd Hill spreading the word for us, but in general, um, if you come across injured wildlife, um, you know, don't don't just try to pawn it off the first way that you can. Um, try to actually find the, the proper person to contact. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of places that have animals, we are not veterinarians. We do not handle their care, and it could potentially take hours longer to get the animal to proper care. Mm. So if you do come across injured wildlife, the best thing to do is contact a licensed rehabilitator, which there's one in every area of Tampa Bay. Okay. Um, there's several, actually. You could find lists through FWC. Um, 
You can also, usually if you call any vet office or nature preserve like us, we at least have a binder of places you can contact. Um, and what it comes down to is often these animals don't often need veterinary care. A lot of baby birds especially could be put back with their wild parents. And by just removing them and assuming the worst, you make, you're allowing that bird to not go back. So by contacting the proper people that are trained to assess situations, they might be able to simply put the animal back with its mm -hmm. wild parents. And the best way for an animal to grow up is with wild parents. Um, so injured wildlife, you know, have a good heart, but also make the right actions um, and, and talk to someone who's licensed in it. And don't just, you know, also on the other hand, don't, don't do it yourself. Don't yes. be a home rehabber. We have several birds in our aviary that people attempted probably with a great heart to help. And they imprinted the birds onto humans and the birds that rely on humans for care. Um, we have one of our short-tailed hawk uh, had a wing injury and someone home rehabbed it and the wing was bound way too tight and could not be undone. So we have, in that case, a bird that probably would have been releasable with his wing injury had he gone to a proper veterinarian right away. So... Always wow. call. Right. Always call first. There's right. no, and, and I've done a lot of different mm -hmm. types of uh, rescue animal work, and it does not, people are, oh, I don't know what to do. Just call somebody, and it's right. totally fine. It's better to err on the side of caution. If you are observant enough to see that maybe you think something's off, mm -hmm. it never hurts to call somebody, because a lot of times, especially I've had people call me about baby birds even, and, you know, once they're, like, feathered, they're needing to learn how to be right, a bird right. and it's they're not uh their family structure isn't the same as humans so the kids go out and explore a little bit more and they're not always with the parents yeah and the, the rehab organization they'd rather have a volunteer go out to you for 10 yes. minutes and put the bird back with a ladder into a nest or something than have the bird spend the next week getting through unnecessary care and then not knowing where it came from and you know trying to raise it and release it back out right well i did want to get that perfectly clear to listeners out there, please don't bring injured wildlife, particularly injured uh, birds, to Boyd Hill Nature Preserve because you'll send them somewhere else. <laughs> people, I mean, I also, I, some people will just leave stuff in a box when places open, and that's just, mm, it's, that, my, yeah. my, the, my, my cat attacked this. I'm sorry, here it is. Well, <laughs> if your cat attacked it, you have the responsibility now to make it right, right the best you can. Right, dear, dear, my goodness. People, but you know, I think people's hearts are in the right place, but just giving them a little more information helps. Speaking of more information, let's talk about Raptor Fest so people know what's going on on February 3rd. Yeah, so Raptor Fest, uh, it's an event we started about 10 years ago. This will be our 10th live in person Raptor Fest. We had one COVID year, we don't really count that. <laughs> um, and it's our giant celebration of birds of prey and wildlife in general. Um, so you'll see tons of birds of prey there different species a lot of native and even some non-native that people uh, have in their collections that bring them out for the for the festival uh, we have steve hottie from earth quest who's a master falconer he free flies his birds we make a little bit of like a bleachered stadium in our field um, wow. and he does he's an old school falconer so he does like actual lure flying with his falcons things that most people don't do these days he has the indian condor which is one of the biggest bird species in the world <sighs> Wow. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. And it's also just a lot of local nonprofits, bird, bird ones, and also just nature ones too. So it's a way to, for everyone to network and to people see where maybe they could volunteer and have a good time. Very, very kid-friendly and very, very photographer-friendly. 
Oh, event. I could imagine the people with their long lenses coming out there. Oh, yeah, they some they, shots they, of a life they sit they camp out the, the uh, at the at the uh, grass arena and get the best spot for okay, the Okay, so give a little more detail on it's February third. Yep, February third from ten to four p.m. Um, our parking on site is only for handicap permit parking. Um, we do have a trolley that will pick people up from Lake Vista and Lakewood High School parking lots. Okay. Um, obviously, carpooling is encouraged. And biking. Oh, yeah. biking okay. too. Absolutely. And um, let me, I'm going to check the DJ mail. Um, and you're open every day but Monday. I wanted to get that yes. out there. I, apart from uh, Raptor Fest for um, the... Bird, bird demonstrations and things like that. So our 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 preserve is open every Monday. Um, typically speaking, during weekdays, so Tuesday through Friday, there's volunteers there mm-hmm. in the afternoon. It's not a hard and fast time. Okay. Um, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if you're there around three thirty, you'll probably catch volunteers. Friday around two thirty, you'll catch volunteers. Um, and then um, on the weekends around ten a.m., you'll catch volunteers. Okay. That will be able to. May, they may have birds out. They can at least talk to answer your questions, too. Awesome. Raptor Fest coming up February 3rd. Uh, thank you guys so much. Is there anything else that you think we've missed or we need to talk about right now before? I no, guess please. the only thing oh, the, for, the, for, for, well, for Raptor Fest, every year we try to do a, a certain theme. Uh, so this year is Small But Mighty. Um, <laughs> we're going to be focused on the Eastern Screech Owl and the American Kestrel. Uh, these are both um, pretty small birds tiny. of prey. Yeah, they're tiny. the smallest in Tampa Bay. Um, but their their ecological role is mighty. Right. So. Yeah, and I would just encourage people to be involved. Don't be shy. You know, you're volunteering your time or anything else. You know, just get out there and put yourself out there, and you'll be surprised how many friends you make too. Um, boy, go ahead. Oh, the the uh, uh, Facebook page or your social yes. media. Yes, yes. So talk you about please that. follow us, uh, Friends of Boyd Hill on Facebook and Friends of Boyd Hill on Instagram. And does Raptor Fest have its own? Website? It doesn't have its own, but okay. we'll be doing an educational okay. post associated. Okay. So yeah, we'll have and we'll have a raffle, so you can get involved with that if you want to Except help. you know, it's all it's a very affordable event. Um, yes, so it's also our biggest fundraiser too. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Uh, are there? Um, refreshments and things for people to buy as far as yep. the fundraiser goes. Okay. Do you need raffle prizes or things? Uh, like raffle prizes we're pretty nailed down okay. on. Um, we it do accept event weekend. sponsors and stuff okay. um, for the event tops of the cost of it. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming in. Uh, I'll be checking the email. Uh, we've got a phone call. We're not going to be able to take that on air, but if you want to text or ask for more information, do so at DJ at WMNF.org. Or text 813-433-0885. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit about eagles. I don't think the ex- information's accurate, but it's funny. This is Nate Bargatze. You're listening to Talking Animals on WMNF. We had, a, we had an eagle build a nest in our backyard. And if you ever heard that happen, just so you know, the eagle owns your land. You can't do anything, you can't bother it, like, you can't disturb it, you gotta be like, do you mind if we come out to the yard that we pay for? <laughs> and if the eagle's not filling it, you gotta go back inside. <laughs> can't kill it, you go to jail for life. <laughs> we celebrate eagles in this country, and it's gone to their head. 
I had to look it up because I thought, well, I don't want to get in trouble. So I looked it up on the internet. Now, when I look stuff up on the internet, I never know how to properly phrase it, like to get the real answer. So I think, I, I think there's two internets, and I don't think I've ever seen the real internet. I think they go down how you ask the question, they send you down a dumb internet. So I typed in, I was like, what are these laws with these eagles? And they were like, he can't handle the truth. Send him down the circus internet. So when you Google something, usually the link that has the answer on it, it's always like right above or near where the people also ask questions. And that's where they keep you dumb. And I try not to look at them because they're hard for me to avoid. I love them. So I Google, I put my hand right here. And I'm like, don't look down there. But if I see one of them, I'm like, what? What is that about though? So I don't know the laws of eagles. I, I, the first question I saw said, what happens if I accidentally hit an eagle with my car? <laughs> he worded that as if a lot of people are accusing of him on purpose hitting an eagle with his car. <laughs> the question I got hung up in the most, it, says, it said, is it a good sign if an eagle touches your head? And I was like, dude, are eagles touching people's heads? That sounds like an amazing sign. And I think it means you're chosen. So I looked at the answer and was surprised to read, you're lucky to be alive. Eagles apparently are not, not touching people's heads like I just thought they were. <laughs> so I looked into it because I was like, well, why are people asking this question? And eagles have touched people's heads. So what happens is, and I get this little good bad news, this happens mainly to bald men. And by mainly, I mean only. So if an eagle has got a turtle in its like mouth and it wants to break it on the, it wants to break it on a rock to eat it. So they see your bald head and they think that's a rock. That's crazy. It's crazy, dude. And look, you got a lot on your plate. I'm not trying to put more on it. But you should be aware of this. If you're like, well, what are the odds? 100%. It's not going to not happen. So ask questions. If someone's like, let's take a walk, they're like, well, what's the eagle situation like today? <laughs> Nate Bargetzi uh, with his piece called Eagles. You've been tuned to talk, you are tuned to Talking Animals on WMNF. My name is Beverly. I'm sitting in for Duncan today. Duncan returns next Wednesday, January 10th with Glenn Hatchell. It will be his Ask a Trainer segment where they will be taking live phone calls and emails and texts to the studio about your animal 
uh, your domesticated animal, companion animal questions. So please come back and tune in and welcome Duncan into 2024. Um, Jim Bannon will be up next with It's the Music and Nancy C. Coming in with the traffic jam at 3 o'clock and the fabulous Chris New, Chris Young with news breaks from 3.30 to 5.30. I want to leave you with uh, one more song. We're going to listen to Steve Earle. The title of the song is Down Here Below. It is based on a documentary that was made by a young man from Belgium who spotted a red-tailed hawk in Central Park in 1993. He bought a camera and tracked the hawk for probably over 20 years, and the hawk became known to New Yorkers as Pale Male. And the um, footage eventually became a documentary released in 2009 called The Legend of Pale Male. Here is Steve Earle on WMNF. You've been listening to Talking Animals on 88.5 WMNF. I want to remind you that Duncan Strauss has a website, talkinganimals.net. You can find out all kinds of archive shows, including uh, Helen McDonald's uh, interview 
regarding her award-winning memoir, H's for Hawks, one of my favorites going back to 2000, 2005. And I also wanted to give my heartfelt thanks to Jason and Elizabeth and also to Laura Kane, a former WMNF board member. Thank you so much.